This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. So on one of last week's shows, we uh, talked about how Trump decided to plan the next G7 meeting at his own hotel. Naturally. His own shitty hotel, the uh, Trump Doral in Sam Sachs' home state of Florida. Yeah. He's walked it back already, which is a little surprising, but uh, my feeling is that it was too blatant even for the Republican Party, which uh, politely asked him basically to uh, tone it down. Yeah. So he did, and he came out and uh, had a, threw a little fit saying, well, I was going to do it at cost. It gave me no benefit whatsoever. It just happened to be the ideal venue for this meeting of global leaders. Yeah. Yeah. It, and you people didn't want it. So that's on you. Yeah. He said that Democrats were, even though he was going to do it for free, Democrats <laughs> noted that the promotion that would come, he's like, well, I'm the most promoted guy in history. That's what he kept saying. I don't think anybody's gotten more promotion than me in history. The whole episode lasted just a few days. And I saw someone note on Twitter that in those few days in which Trump tried to pull this, tried to have the G7 at Doral before backing down. Within those two days, Marco Rubio gave his support to the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least in this case, Rubio can uh, credibly say he's just trying to do his constituents a favor. Yeah. On the other end of the political corruption spectrum, fucking Mayor Pete. He is a snake. I have said this on Twitter. He is a snake. The snake just got longer because according to Bloomberg, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has recommended staffers to Mayor Pete, to the Buttigieg campaign. Two of them got hired by uh, Mayor Teacher's Pet. Wow. And (laughs) mind you, this is at a time when Buttigieg is viciously lashing out at candidates to his left who are, among other things, promising to take on Facebook and yeah. Google and all these big tech giants, they have a, a not-so-Trojan horse. It's just a regular horse. Pete is a regular war horse for the tech companies. Yeah, and the drive to make him a contender in this election has really taken off I mean, it's kicked into overdrive, I should say. Uh, Following the debates, you hear more and more people saying, oh, Mayor Pete did a great job. Mayor Pete should be up there. And this is one of those days in which the polls suck and the polls show like Pete ahead of Bernie in Iowa. And I'm sure we'll have polls tomorrow that show Bernie ahead of Pete, in which case the polls will be good that day. But we shouldn't underestimate how much the ship merchants in the Democratic Party will try and make Mayor Pete the nominee still to this day, even though he's been a long distance fifth place this whole time. They're still trying. Yeah, he's shitty and hopefully he has no shot, but we got to be hyper vigilant about that one. Uh, you, you are sure right about that. Uh, in other good news, one Bernard Sanders held a rally. In hold, the, on, hold on, I have to take the dog in. Uh, the dog has to go in. 
you can hear those little paws scampering around. Maybe we will decide to include this audio in the track. I think we have to include it now that I'm talking about it. So anyway, Bernard Sanders uh, held a rally in the... A massive rally. Massive rally in Queens in New York City. And it was very impressive. 26,000 or so people turned out. AOC gave uh, some stirring remarks. And it caused all sorts of meltdowns by liberals. uh, Notable ones and less recognizable ones on Twitter. Uh, I recall one account freaking out that Bernie concluded his speech by encouraging us to fight for our neighbors, even if we don't know them. (laughs) This is like, this is like one of the most basic moral principles. (laughs) People, people are acting like this and, and you, it's true. You don't hear politicians say that much say talk about it in these terms very often and this is a very individualistic society but the idea that we should look out and fight for people we don't know it's basic it's as basic as it gets but when bernie says it everybody's like this is fucked up well yeah it's leftism 101 and i really do loathe the term rad lib uh radical liberal (laughs) but somehow all these accounts are pretending like uh, it's actually bad for a left-wing person to say fight for people you don't know uh, because obviously every good left-wing person knows that but what if the family person... and tribal ties matter more or something? I don't know. <laughs> but the person, there might be someone I don't know who's a racist though, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> In which case, uh, that's pretty problematic for you to ask me to fight for them. <laughs> Well, it, it's it's the whole principle of, uh, you know, I don't think Nazis should have jobs, but I think that everyone should have health care as a human right. <laughs> I'm not going to say that Nazis specifically should have health care, but fucking everyone should. Anyway, I, another great meltdown from the speech. And I guess it wasn't really a meltdown, but it was like. It was sincere posting, masking a meltdown uh, when AOC was talking about why it's important to fight for universal health care because she was on the child health insurance program chip uh, when she was a kid. And Neera Tandon chiming in to say, oh, actually, Hillary Clinton, <laughs> Hillary Clinton helped with chip. And she mentioned what? that she worked on it, too, with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Didn't Neera? Which I, like, this is about me right now. Right, right. Which is... Uh, some people have been saying there are there is uh there are questions to which to the extent to which that is true but nevertheless the point AOC was trying to make is that we need to expand programs and they need to be comprehensive because yes they can help a little bit but they could be helping so much more and Nira responds by bragging about someone who fucking during the last campaign said that single payer will never, ever, ever, ever come to pass. Yeah. I will say AOC handled that much better than I would have. Oh, yeah, she did. AOC was like, you know, oh, appreciative of Secretary Clinton and what she did. And I would have been like, hey, Nira, have another glass of uh, Chardonnay or something. Big election tonight. Big election in Canada. Uh, if you are listening to this and it's still Monday afternoon, October 21st, check out the Twitch feed of our friend, friend of the show, Rob Rousseau, host of the podcast 49th Parahel. Uh, 
he is going to be doing live returns. He's a good content man. He's got some decent politics. He is funny. Uh, he caused Fox News to have a meltdown. And if you are looking for something to do tonight and you, like me, are interested in Canadian politics, check out Rob's Twitch feed. I believe it is twitch.tv slash Rob Rousseau. Uh, honestly, if you can't figure out how to spell Rousseau, you're probably not interested in Canadian politics. So, <laughs> Yeah, check that out. I'll probably uh, check it out at some point tonight. Also, if you have the chance, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month, you get access to all the content we put out each week, including the garbage can proceedings at the end of the week. Plus, you get your own poem written for you in red on the air. We're going to read some haiku later on in today's show for new subscribers. Okay, it's Monday, October 21st, 2019. Here's the news. The U.S. military is talking about stationing troops in a country that Congress never declared war on to guard oil, which isn't normally news in a post-9-11 world, I guess, but it's but the Pentagon admitted as much today. It usually keeps this stuff quiet. Amid the pullout of U.S. forces in northern Syria, Defense Secretary Mark Esper said that some personnel might stay behind. According to Reuters, Esper noted, quote, some troops were still with partner forces near oil fields. And there had been discussions about keeping some of them there, end of quote. Ah, yes, that old chestnut. <laughs> Esper noted he didn't have details yet. He did, however, rationalize the plans thusly, quote, The purpose is to deny access, specifically revenue, to the Islamic State and any other groups that may want to seek that revenue to enable their own malign activities, end of quote. Fully expecting some of this oil to fund CIA-backed coup plotters in South America by Christmas. The troop pullout appears to be part of some harebrained scheme by President Trump to pretend he's against reckless wars and foreign entanglements, as if he isn't doing brinksmanship with Iran and coup attempts in Venezuela, not to mention all the Israeli ethnic cleansing he's greenlighting. The only practical outcome of this northern Syria withdrawal so far appears to be the greenlighting of a brutal invasion by the Turkish military, targeting Kurdish forces that had previously helped the U.S. government fight the Islamic State. Indeed, the New York Times reported last night that Trump is leaning toward keeping 200 U.S. troops in eastern Syria near the Iraq border, so whatever plan he's executing barely contains a withdrawal at all, really. Last week, the White House reached a deal on a very brief ceasefire between the Turkish government and Kurdish militants, the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces. The deal is scheduled to end tomorrow. President Trump today said he believes the ceasefire is holding, despite some fighting, both sides have accused one another of violating the agreement. Yesterday, Kurdish forces said Turkey was refusing safe corridors for civilians seeking to evacuate Ras al Ain, a border town between Turkey and Syria, on the Syrian side, of course. According to the BBC, 160,000 and 300,000 people have already fled their homes to escape the fighting. The British news service also noted yesterday that Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said he will, quote, crush the heads of Kurdish forces that don't pull back from within 20 miles of the Syrian-Turkish border. Hmm. Moving on, all this week, rank-and-file members of the United Auto Workers will vote on ratifying an agreement struck by the union's bargaining team in General Motors, which could officially end the more than month-long strike. Voting lasts until Friday, and although the union secured some concessions from the company during the strike, like bonuses, it's still not guaranteed that the agreement will be approved. It's because workers, for one, didn't get guarantees from GM to keep manufacturing plants in the U.S. 
Labor activist Mindy Iser spoke to one worker on the picket lines in an interview published in In These Times. They said they're going to vote down the contract because it doesn't do enough to give security to temporary workers and because of the lack of guarantees to not offshore production. The worker predicted that other rank and file will also vote no on the contract. Journalist Mike Elk also reporting on strife between union leadership and members who are urging a no vote on the contract. Elk tweeted out that the UAW local 1853 president in Spring Hill, it's Michigan, actually called the police on workers agitating against the contract. Of course, if it is voted down, the 48,000 GM workers will stay on the picket line and GM will continue to lose money. The work stoppage has already cost the company more than $2 billion, which... I don't know, at some point the losses are going to outweigh whatever savings can be generated by offshoring plants, so the bosses ought to just make those guarantees right now. GM stock, meanwhile, is down 7% since the strike started. Score one for the underdogs. It's a win for corporate secrecy. (laughs) They never win. (laughs) The Department of Agriculture released a final rule today narrowing what can be released under the Freedom of Information Act. The new rule was first proposed in June of last year. Among other things, it grants extra layers of confidentiality to agribusinesses dealing with USDA. Basically, it codifies and develops an appeals process for private entities that want to fight information releases. FOIA isn't overly generous, as it is, needless to say, and this would only make things worse. Many public commenters had qualms with the thrust of this proposal, as the agency noted in today's Federal Register. But the agency also noted that the Supreme Court has its back— Because of a ruling from over the summer, the criticism is now, quote, moot. The courts had previously said business info should be exempt from disclosure only if release meant substantial competitive harm, but thanks to the Roberts Court, that standard was revised. Writing for a 6-3 majority, Neil Gorsuch said in June that corporate info should be kept secret by the government, quote, at least where commercial or financial information is both customarily and actually treated as private by its owner and provided to the government under, under an assurance of privacy, end of quote. The law already had tons of exemptions. This basically has FOIA officers doing PR work for big business. Extremely cool. Coincidentally, the case at the heart of this decision involved the Department of Agriculture. It's centered around a South Dakota newspaper seeking information on how much retailers were making from food stamps. Finally, the trappings of our police state are very easy to identify in cities across America. But in the frontier lands, where instead of Black Lives Matter, we see anti-government sentiments flourish, it's truly the Wild West. A new GAO report knocks federal land management agencies for not doing enough to secure their staff and facilities from threats of violence and takeover from right-wing extremists. Ever since the 2016 occupation of the Mulhair National Wildlife Refuge by the Bundy clan, agencies were required to conduct security examinations of their facilities to make sure something similar doesn't happen again. GAO found that these agencies aren't up to the task. They include the Bureau of Land Management, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Park Service, and the Forest Service, all agencies reporting that they don't have the resources, expertise, or training to conduct agency-wide inspections. So as a result, the Fish and Wildlife Service has completed security assessments on only 5 out of 465 facilities. BLM assessed 21 out of 280 facilities. The Forest Service looked at only 135 out of 1,135 facilities. And the Park Service with only 148 facilities inspected out of 1,505. 
That's despite the fact that the four agencies since 2013 have received more than 350 credible threats of violence, mostly from reactionary anti-government types like those associated with the Bundys. These threats have resulted in more than 100 FBI counter-terror investigations. GAO made a number of recommendations focused on agencies finishing up their security assessments. Now, I'm not calling for more police presence on our public lands or more MRAPs within the Bureau of Land Management, but this story is telling, and something tells me if the threat was coming from Muslims or black activists instead of mostly white rural militias, these enhanced security measures would have already been deployed. Or if they were American Indian activists on yeah, federal land. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we saw what they did to uh, the water protectors fighting the uh, Dakota XL pipeline. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Unarmed. Unarmed protesters for the most part. But when you carry guns and occupy places, you tend to be treated pretty well. If you're white. If you're white. <laughs> if you're white yeah. and also right wing. But Precisely. But, I mean, both those things. All right. Let's wrap up the newscast and read some poetry for our new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first one goes out to Marge. Here's a good platform. A chicken in every pot, weed in every bowl. Thank you, Marge. One day, hopefully, that will be true. We can also provide plant protein-based chickens to our comrades who uh, don't sure. eat regular chicken. Definitely. Or whatever. I don't know. Maybe an eggplant or something. <laughs> an eggplant, a chicken equivalent. Eggplant. <laughs> eggplant is good as hell, my friend. I'm anyway, not an eggplant fan. This is for MJ. You and me, my friend. Let's get together one day to seize capital. Thank you, MJ. This one is for Gordon. Dancing down the stairs, Gary Glitter in the ears. It me, the Joker. <laughs> Thank you, Gordon. Truly a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> Finally, this is for Christine. Art from the artist, I tell the arresting cop. Penis on stop sign. <laughs> thank you, Christine. And thank you to all the new subscribers. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. All right. Last thing to get to today. It is the listener rant line. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. It's Slater. Um, I wanted to call in just to talk about a couple things. Um, first, let, let's say congratulations to your nationals on making the World Series. That means we are within, you know, 10 days or so. It will be, you know, very soon that we will be kicking off Pundemonium with Pundemonium Group 1. If you want to know who's in Pundemonium Group 1, that's up. Uh, I believe it's on a Patreon post if you go to the Awful Pundits Patreon. You can see who's in Pandemonium Group 1 right now. And um, the, the other thing I, I wanted to discuss, you know, now that the awful Pundit series is over, we're, we're going to be going into Pandemonium pretty soon, is, um, you know, th this time of, uh, the, this point in the election cycle four years ago for the GOP primary, Ben Carson was the front runner. So I don't want to hear any more of the pessimism about Bernie's chances of winning. He's drawing best crowds. He's got the best platform, and um, it, it's it's still way too, way, way, way too soon to be down about his chances of winning. Uh, Slater out. Thank you for the call, Slater, and uh, for the recognition of the Nats World Series appearance. Next year will be the White Sox, I'm sure of it. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like that's a very harsh uh, own of Slater there after yeah. uh, after a very nice well, call. What, what can I say? What can I say? Uh, You're the sports dick. Appreciate the words, Slater. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll try to be optimistic around here. This is a hell world after all. And sometimes the pessimism is hard to uh, dispel. <laughs> Trying to pivot into being a radio sports dick. Yeah. It's Nightman and the Sports Bastard. <laughs> Call the rail line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. That'll do it for the show. We are back tomorrow. We're here in DC, so you don't have to be. <laughs>